Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, The Seduction of the Beloved. All right, so as most of you know, during the first century, Christian leaders launched out and they planted New Testament churches all around the Roman Empire. I want you to imagine the Mediterranean Sea, imagine North Africa, imagine Israel, imagine Syria, imagine Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, imagine uh, Greece, and imagine the boot over here, Italy. And so all around the Roman Empire, Christians went out and they began to plant churches. And a lot of these churches, most of these churches, started off so strong. But something happened that weakened some of these churches immensely. What happened was that false teachers, apostate teachers, infiltrated these churches and they began to seduce. They began to seduce the seduction of the beloved, um, gullible people to start to follow their wayward teachings and their wayward uh, way of life. And what was the result? In the first century, people began to fall away from the truth, and that's exactly what the word apostasy means. Let me go ahead and define it for you if you're taking notes. Apostasy, apostasia in the Greek, simply means a falling away or a defection. And so from this definition, we come to the conclusion that an apostate, an apostate is one who falls away, defects from Christ and from the true Christian faith. All right, so what's the true Christian faith? I'll give it to you again. I defined it in week one. The faith is the body of truth that was delivered to the church by Jesus Christ through his apostles and their associates and recorded in the New Testament. That's an awesome definition. That's a definition you ought to memorize because lots of people like to define the Christian faith in different ways. And I wanna remind you from week one of our study in verse three that that faith was once for all delivered, past tense, it's already been delivered. It's not still being delivered. It was once for all delivered to the saints. And so Paul told us that at the end of days, the apostasia would come in full force. Many people would fall away. This is what, church, uh, what Paul wrote, wrote to the church of Thessalonica. He said, let no one deceive you. How many of you guys know that Christians can be deceived? How many of you guys know that there's false teachers all over the world today? How many of you guys know the Bible's applicable for where we are now? All right, so let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, in the context, that day means the day of the Lord. The coming seven year tribulation coming to this earth where God pours out his wrath on the world before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That day will not come unless the falling away, apostasia, comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so before the Antichrist arrives on the scene, a great apostasy, a great defection, a great falling away is going to occur unlike anything we've ever seen before in 2,000 years of church history. And at that time, in the future, I want everybody to look at me please, believers. The reason I do that is because how many of you guys know that somebody can make a profession with their mouth and not have a possession in their heart? 
Anybody can say something, but do you really believe it in your heart of hearts? All right, and so at the end of days, many believers are gonna fall away from the Christian faith, and that may be why. Jesus said in Luke 18, eight, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Because more and more people fall away from the truth. And even though this apostasy is gonna occur in full force at the end of days, you need to know that it began in the first century. Okay, so by AD 70, so many false teachers had infiltrated so many churches and it gave rise to this little letter that we've been studying called the book of Jude. And so Jude heard about it. Jude heard about all the false teachers and you know what he did? You remember this from week one? He changed the main subject of his letter. He was gonna write about our common salvation, but he changed the subject, and instead, he wrote about our need to fight for the faith. So by way of review, I want you to go back and look at verse three again. He says, beloved. I love that term, beloved, because what he does there in verse three, and then he uses the word again in verse 17, and again in verse 20, which we'll see next week and the week after that, but the word beloved uh, differentiates born-again Christians from false teachers. So know your, your identity in Jesus Christ. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered, past tense, to the saints. Why, Jude, why is this so important? Verse four, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God and the sensuality, and look at this, they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so what you have here is you have Jude, and he's reminding everybody, the beloved, whether it's the first century or 2,000 years later to you and I, you and I, we gotta fight for the faith. Now in the first century, these false teachers, these apostates, they crept into the churches unnoticed. And one of the ways they got in was through what's known as the Christian love feasts. We're gonna see that now in verse 12. All right, so our first verse is where we're starting today because the last time we were in Jude, we stopped at verse 11, so if you're visiting uh, Calvary today, this is what we normally do. We go verse by verse. And so everybody, right now, if you're looking at Jude verse 12, can you say amen? amen? Okay, so don't let your mind wander. Focus in on God's word. He says these, in the context that's these false teachers, these are hidden reefs at your, here it is, love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I read that and I say, wow, Jude. 
in just two verses, you just gave us five examples of what false teachers are like. I think I read somewhere that he actually gives 18 character traits of what false teachers are like. We're gonna look at these five, we're gonna break them down. And so the first thing that he compared the apostate teachers to, in verse 12, he calls them hidden reefs at your love feasts, hidden reefs. So this, 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 this uh, morning, I want you to imagine in your mind, I know it's hard on a rainy day, but imagine in your mind that that's your sailboat. You say, Pastor, you already lost me, I can't even afford a canoe, but just, just imagine, okay, you're, you're on a sailboat, you're with your family, and you're cruising along on a beautiful day along the shoreline. And so there you are, the sun is beating on your face, the wind's blowing through your hair, are you there? You see the dolphins, how many of you guys ever been sailing before? Let me see your hands. Yeah, I went sailing on a Hobie Cat one time and the thing came around and boom, hit me right in the head and I was down on the beach. And so you're there, you're, you're, you're enjoying it, the wind's blowing and so you're, you're, you're flying, you're right? And all of a sudden, boom, you hit a hidden reef. And the next thing you know, the hull and keel of your sailboat is severely damaged and what turned, um, what was a beautiful day has turned into a terrifying event because since your hull and the keel of your sailboat has been damaged, there's water coming in and you and your family are sinking. Now let me ask you, you can answer out loud. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a bad thing. So what's Jude saying? Jude is saying is just like it would be terrible for your family to be shipwrecked by a hidden reef, so it's even worse if you allow your faith to be shipwrecked by an apostate teacher. And it can happen. And so in the first century, the way these guys got in was through agape feasts, love feasts, okay? So what would happen in the first century is the Christian community would get together, they would hear the word taught, they would sing songs, and they would have a big potluck meal. And that was wonderful for the poor in the church because they couldn't afford food to bring food and so those of means would bring food and they all enjoy and they all share and then after the potluck they'd have communion together it was a, an awesome event it was called the love feast well guess who took advantage of those potluck meals in order to spread their false doctrine Jude told us in verse 12 the false teachers they crept in unnoticed. They went into the love feast. They went into these meals, right? They began to rub shoulders with Christians. They began to win the Christians over. They began, through their probably dynamic personalities, to gain people's trust, but then the next thing you know, they're introducing heresy. Probably saying something like, you know what, I know Jude says this. I know James and Peter, and John, and Paul, and those guys, I know they say this, but what you need to know is I have a new revelation. I had a dream, man, I had a vision from God. And the gullible are like, oh really, tell me more. And what happens, the next thing you know, boom! They hit a hidden reef. And for many of these people, their faith was shipwrecked, and that's sad. If you're with me now, say amen. amen. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, this still happens today. And so be careful, I don't care how dynamic a personality someone has, 
if they teach you anything that contradicts the apostles' doctrine, reject it. Walk away. Don't be deceived. The second thing that Jude likens these apostate teachers to in verse 12, he calls them waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Okay, so that depiction right there, that would have really impacted Jude's first century agrarian readers. All the farmers reading this letter in the first century, this would impact them because all those farmers knew that, man, their crops are in danger if it doesn't rain. And so the whole idea of clouds that promise rain but actually don't deliver rain would upset these people who are reading this letter. And Jude would say, hey, apostate teachers are the same way. They're waterless clouds. They make all these big promises, but they can't deliver on the promises, right? Hey, follow my teaching. Forget the teaching of the word of God. Follow my teaching and you'll be blessed. Read my self-help book and you'll experience spiritual victory. Sow into my ministry and you'll receive a financial breakthrough. Buy into my religious system and you'll inherit eternal life. And sadly, some people actually believe the hype. They believe the dynamic personality. They're won over by the smile and they take the bait. But in the end, they experience no blessing, no spiritual victory, no financial breakthrough, and no eternal life. Why? Because Jude says these people are like waterless clouds. They make promises, but they can't deliver. And you know why they can't deliver? By the way, they may deliver a soulish message. You understand the difference between soulish and spiritual? In other words, they can wow you with their soulless message but is it really spiritual? And so two of the reasons, there's many reasons, but two of the reasons they can't deliver is because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in their hearts. They've never been born again. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're not teaching the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, what can truly satisfy us spiritually speaking? This book, look at what Isaiah says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall, shout out the next two words please. My word, not a motivational speech. Not someone you know, trying to make you feel good or how to be successful material in your life or whatever, that's not what satisfies. So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What does the New Testament church need to be taught? Not motivational speeches. They need to be taught the word of God. And I'm not saying that every evangelical speaker who gives a motivational speech is a false teacher. What I am saying is that if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives inside of you, this is what satisfies you. God's word, the milk, the meat of God's word. The third thing that Jude compared the apostate teachers to was in verse 12, 
fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Now it was very obvious that Jude was talking about a tree that's dying, diseased probably, and therefore is not producing fruit. But his words, right, fruitless trees in late autumn, it brought me to another illustration. I want you to imagine that it's the autumn season. Now I know that's really hard for you as a Floridian, right, because we don't experience four seasons here, right? We experience two seasons here, hot and hotter, right? But just, just try to imagine, kind of like a sailboat again, just try to imagine this, right? It's, it's late autumn, it's probably 50 degrees outside, you're up north somewhere, obviously, you're walking along and you see, believe it or not, that's a pear tree. And it's on public property. That means good for the picking. And you're hungry and you need some juicy ripe pears to hold you over till dinner. And so you eagerly walk up to the tree, but there's a problem. You see on that tree, I think it's called an ornamental pear tree, there's little to no fruit. Now, how many of you guys, answer out loud, how many of you guys think that's a beautiful tree? Yeah, it's beautiful. But if you're hungry, who cares? If I'm hungry, I wanna see that. Now, it's not as beautiful or ornamental, but guess what? It's got some juicy fruit there. How many of you guys want a pear, like right now, right? I should have handed them out during the sermon. You're gonna have to wait about 20 more minutes, okay? Then we'll get our, our pears at home. And so Jude is gonna say, hey, listen, apostate teachers, they're like false, um, I'm sorry, they're like fruitless trees, right? They're devoid of the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of them, they've never been born again, guess what? They don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. If you examine these false teachers' private lives, there is no consistent flow of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not what's flowing consistently out of that person because they've been born again by the Spirit, because they're indwelt by the Spirit. No, what's happening in their life is their lives are full of pride and greed and immorality. So many of these guys, if you look at their lives, they, they commit immorality and insubordination. And they're also guilty of what it says in verse 16. Let's look at verse 16 really quick and then we'll go back. Speaking of false teachers, Jude says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. There's no victory in Jesus. Jesus is not in their heart. Following their sinful desires and their loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism, why? To bless people? No, to gain advantage. The idea there is to gain advantage for themselves. And so this is the true description. And what's gonna eventually happen to these guys? Jesus said, any plant that my Father in heaven has not planted will be rooted up. So just, if the day's coming, they're gonna be rooted up. And that's why Jude said at the end of verse 12 that they are twice dead uprooted. Now twice dead 
that's, that's a hard one, okay? And, and I, I, I dug in and there's lots of opinions about what does twice dead mean there? I'll just give it to you for your own Bible study. Maybe it means that when these false teachers die, they die physically and then they die spiritually, eternally separated from God, twice dead. Or maybe it means because they're not bearing fruit on the outside, they're dead outwardly, and then when you uproot them, you find out that their root system's diseased and dead, and so they're twice dead. I don't know, you do your own Bible study. Um, the fourth thing Jude compared the apostate teachers to is found in verse 13. He calls them wild waves casting up the foam of their own shame. And so, look at the screen. How many of you guys wanna swim in that today? Right, I mean, nasty, yuck. And I'm wondering, as Jude describes the false teachers in this way, I wonder if he was thinking of Isaiah 57, 20. Look at what it says. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Okay, so apostate teachers, they can't be quiet, they're always running their mouth, and, and, and what, what happens is that their lips and their lives foam up their shame. Their lips give out, foam out heresy, false doctrine, false teaching, doesn't line up with the word of God. And their lives foam out unrepentant sin. They're living in sin, they're not repentant of sin, and they, quite frankly, don't really care anyway. And so that's another description but then there's a fifth thing that Jude compares the apostate teachers to, and he calls them, in verse 13, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It's, it's amazing. Jude had an amazing imagination. And so he, here's your fifth description of what these people are like. And when Jude wrote this down, I don't think he's talking about fixed stars right, that have a predictable orbit, fixed stars that help the ancients navigate whenever they went on their voyages. That's not what he's talking about here. I think Jude was talking about shooting stars. Shooting stars that come on the scene, right, like a brilliant flash, and everybody's like, ooh, look, wow, isn't that amazing? But there's a problem, ladies and gentlemen, with that picture, and that is that you cannot use shooting stars for navigational purposes. How can you use a shooting star to navigate your way on a voyage, right? They're there, they flash, and the next thing you know, they vanish into utter darkness. And so Jude is saying, hey everybody, don't be duped. Apostate false teachers are like shooting stars, right? They appear like a brilliant flash on the stage of Christianity and everybody's like ooh look ah but there's a problem you can't navigate your life by that guy or by his teaching or her teaching why because they're here for a little while and then they vanish into the darkness and they're not teaching the word of god what they're teaching contradicts the word of God. And so be careful about following shooting stars. They may lead you into the darkness. Now everybody look at verse 14. 
I'm so glad it's raining. That means I can go on and on and on today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Look at verse 14. He says, it was also about these, these false teachers, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, behold the Lord comes. How do you guys know that Jesus is coming again? Behold the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, he came the first time as a little baby to save the world, to seek and save those who are lost. We're in an age of grace right now, but guess what? This age is coming to an end, and when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back like a little baby to save the world. He's coming back as a warrior to judge the world. Judgment on all, and I want you to notice how many times he says the word ungodly here. Judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly, that's one, of all their deeds of ungodliness, that's two, that they have committed in such an ungodly way, that's three, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners, that's four, has spoken against him, against the Lord. You think Jude is trying to say something here to us? That when people choose to live ungodly lives, there's a reason, it's because they don't have authentic faith in their hearts. And guess what, they will be judged by the Lord. And so here's your next point. If you're taking notes, Jude shared a prophecy from Enoch to remind his readers that the Lord's gonna come. And so way back in the book of Genesis, there was this amazing man. His name was Enoch. He was Noah's great-grandfather. And he lived at that time in Genesis, I'm sure you've read it a thousand times, where people lived really long lives. And so the scriptures have this to say about this really godly guy, Enoch. Check it out. Enoch walked with God. I hope you're doing that this afternoon. I hope you have a life where you walk with God. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were how long? Okay, 365 years, and, and we would say, wow, that's a long life. Oh, yeah, it's a long life in our day and age, but in Enoch's day and age, that was a very short life. Did you know that Enoch's son, Methuselah, lived for 969 years? I mean, how many of you guys wanna live that long, right? That's why you hear the phrase, old as Methuselah. And so why did Methuselah get 969 years, but Enoch got 365 years? Well, something happened when he was 365 that was absolutely amazing. This is what happened, check it out. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Isn't that amazing? I love that. And so here's Enoch, a godly man, right? He's walking with the Lord. 300, and, 300 years after Methuselah was born, he's walking with the Lord. He's no doubt talking with the Lord. He's got this close relationship that you and I should have with the Lord. And one day the Lord's like, Enoch, why don't you just come on home? And he reaches and he snatches him up directly into heaven. This is an amazing thing. And concerning Enoch's homecoming, the author of Hebrews says this, 
He says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. I think it's Hebrews 9.27. It says, for it is appointed unto a man once to die and after this the judgment. Okay, that is true, absolutely true. But that's a general principle. There's exceptions to that truth. Here's one of the exceptions right here. Enoch did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Enoch was one of two Old Testament guys who were, did not experience death, but they were taken directly into heaven. Does anybody know who the other guy was? Elijah, taken up in a whirlwind on a chariot of fire, right? And so Enoch and Elijah are Old Testament pictures of the rapture of the New Testament church. Ladies and gentlemen, I got good news for you this afternoon. There will be, absolutely, a generation of Christians that will not see death. Paul tells us, he says, by the word of the Lord. Now, let me ask you something. Is, is, is God a, a truth teller or a liar? By the word of the Lord. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll always be with the Lord. It's, that's by the word of the Lord. And then he says, comfort one another with these words. And so don't be all about doom and gloom. Ladies and gentlemen, don't be a, uh, a thermometer. Be a thermostat. Don't be a thermometer where you allow whatever's going on in the world to dictate your mood. No, that's what people who are followers do. We're leaders, and we need to be a thermostat. We have the Holy Spirit. We have resurrection life. And so let's make a decision that we set the temperature, and we're going to make a choice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what day it is or what's going on around us. That's what leaders do. Be a leader. Step up. You only have one life. That says two, but one. <laughs> one life. It'll soon be past. Only what's done for Christ is gonna last. And before Enoch was snatched up into heaven, he prophesied about the coming of the Lord. He said in verse 14, did you see it? This is Enoch's prophecy. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones, and then he goes on to finish his prophecy in verse 15. The Lord comes. All right, so now we're gonna go a little deeper than we usually go in our Bible studies, but where in the world did Jude get this quote? Well, the answer is he got it from the book of First Enoch. You say, Pastor? I don't know where that is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It's actually what's called a pseudepigrapha book. You say pseudo what? Pseudepigrapha, right? It's not, it's not hard. Pseudus means false. Epigraphe means name. False name, pseudepigrapha. Okay, so, so what, what, what happened? You had a guy who wrote a book and he used Enoch's name falsely because we know Enoch didn't write the book of First Enoch, the book of Enoch. You say, how do you know 
the real Enoch didn't write First Enoch. Well, it's because First Enoch was written, we believe, during the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Scholars believe right around, we think, 300 B.C. The real Enoch was the seventh from Adam. He lived way before that, so obviously the real Enoch, snatched up into heaven, did not write First Enoch. It's a pseudepigrapha book. And here's what you need to know. Um, even though it was really popular in the first century, all the apostles read it, Jude read it, obviously, it was not considered divinely inspired. So it was not later added into the canon of scripture or even made a part of the canon of scripture. Regarding this, Dr. Charles Ryrie um, says this. He said, though this prophecy, verses 14 and 15, is found in the non-canonical book of Enoch, the original prophecy, I love this, was uttered by the Enoch of the Bible and was later expanded and incorporated into the book of Enoch. And so how does that happen? Well, what happens is that the real Enoch, before he's snatched up into heaven, says the Lord is gonna come with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment against the ungodly, et cetera, et cetera. And that prophecy was handed down by oral tradition from generation to generation by the Hebrews, by the Jews, and then later on written in the pseudepigraphal book, First Enoch. Okay, so Jude uses this quote from this book. It does not mean the book is inspired by God. The book is not inspired by God. But the phrase does become part of the inspired word of God when Jude writes it down, because how many of you guys believe from Genesis to Revelation, this is God's breathed out book? You see how that works? Okay, and so the Lord is coming. That leads us back to our point. If you're taking notes, Jude shared a prophecy from Enoch to remind his reader, the Lord will come. I wanna encourage you this afternoon. Jesus is gonna come. Mark it down, highlight it in yellow. Nothing can stop it from happening. And John saw it. Let me just read to you John's, the real apostle John, his vision in Revelation. This is true. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. The first time he came, he came to seek and to save the lost. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's what we do, that's our assignment right now. But when he comes again, he's coming back to judge the nations, to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That will happen. I'll ask you again. How many believe that Jesus was a true prophet or a false prophet? What was he? Yell it out. True prophet. John, true apostle. Jesus will absolutely 
come again. And who's he coming with? Jude says in verse 14, last two words in verse 14, he says he's coming with the quote unquote holy ones. Well, who in the world are they? <laughs> Paul told us. Look at what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. When the Lord, and by the way, it doesn't say if the Lord. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, not allegorically, not spiritually, not in some hidden way. No, this is literal stuff. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, there's your holy ones, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said basically the same thing. When, not if, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the who with him? Angels, then he will sit on his glorious throne. In the context, is he talking about the throne of heaven? No, he's talking about the throne here on earth. Whose throne? Isaiah chapter, uh, is it seven or, or nine? He says in Isaiah uh, chapter nine, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it. I'll ask you, you can answer out loud. 3,000 years ago, what city had the throne of David? Where was David sitting? What city? Jerusalem. And so Jesus is coming to sit on the throne of David. Where? In Jerusalem. And ladies and gentlemen, when he comes back, if you go with us to Israel, we'll take you to the top of Mount Carmel. I'll show you the valley of Jezreel where Armageddon is gonna take place. And so Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna judge the ungodly nations. And then he's gonna go to Jerusalem. He's gonna sit down on the throne of David. And he's gonna dispatch his angels. I'm not talking figuratively. I'm not talking about allegorically. I'm saying really. Literally, he's gonna send out his angels all around the world. Why? To gather people to his throne for judgment. And by the way, this is after the seven-year tribulation period, the day of the Lord, where all hell breaks loose on this planet, where God pours out his wrath. The seals are open, the trumpets are blown, the bowls of wrath are poured out, and yet, even though millions and millions and millions are gonna die, Millions are going to survive the tribulation period. They're still alive after Jesus comes back. He dispatches his angels to go and gather every single one of them to his throne in Jerusalem. Saved and lost. And you gotta know that the lost, when they're being tracked down by an angel and they get scooped up by an angel, they're gonna go kicking and screaming. But they can't stop it because they're gonna go. Because listen, we all have to receive a judgment from the Lord. I hope that you're a born again Christian and you can go to the Bema seat of Christ. I hope you're not gonna be one of these people that go to the judgment of the nations. And so Jesus said at that time, the sheep will be separated from the goats. And this is what he says to the sheep, check it out. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. What kingdom? The millennial kingdom, a literal kingdom. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then Jesus 
is going to rehearse to the sheep all the good works they did for those in need. Listen to the word of God. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. They're like, when did we do that for you? And he says, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it for me. What's going on? Is that all the saved people who are gathered, who survived the seven years of tribulation, the sheep, they have authentic faith. And how many of you guys know from James chapter two that true faith works? True faith produces works. And so they're actually caring about needy people. If somebody says, I'm a Christian, and they have no care at all for needy people, I wonder, are you really a Christian? This is why we're excited about partnering with Graceway Village and Fort Pierce, where we can go into Fort Pierce and we can feed people in need. This is why we're excited about our partnership with GVCM, the tables right through those doors, and we can go and support orphans and we can go and bless people who are in need. This is why we get excited about these things, because why? We have authentic faith, and authentic faith always works. This is what we're called to do. But then Jesus, this is scary, he looks at all the goats on his left, and this is what he says, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire. Ladies and gentlemen, there's evangelicals today that are standing in pulpits that deny the reality of hell. And they say, everybody in the end is gonna make it. They're false teachers, they're apostates, don't listen to them. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then the Lord will rehearse to the goats what they did not do for those in need. Why? Because a lack of good works reveals a lack of faith, no authentic faith. You know what troubles me? is that evangelicals know a two, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 like the back of their hand, but they forget Ephesians 2, 10. Are you guys with me today? Say amen. amen. I mean, it's raining, we got time, right? <laughs> Listen to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For, and this is God's word to you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves or me. No, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and so many times the evangelicals, period. And we forget verse 10. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. We don't do meritorious works to earn heaven. No, that's a false gospel. But when you're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you're gonna work. You're gonna care about the poor and needy. And so let's not forget Ephesians 2.10. Are you walking in the work that God, before the creation of the world, prepared in advance for you? And so, in closing, I wanna quickly answer these three questions and we're done. What is an apostate? Just wanna make sure you guys get it. An apostate is someone who falls away from Christ and the true Christian faith. They fall away, they defect. They're religious, 
but they're not saved. And since they defected, they show that they were never truly saved. Where do you get that from, Pastor? John. John says this, we'll put it on the screen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. You see that? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Never saved to begin with. You guys see that? If you see that, say amen. Okay, so true believers don't abandon Christ. True believers don't abandon the faith. Number two, how do we recognize an apostate teacher? Read Jude. There's 18 or so descriptions of who they are. And you're listening to somebody, line it up and see. Number three, how can we remain faithful to the Lord? Here it is. Know this book. Spend time in it every day. Because when you know the truth, when you hear a lie, you know it's a lie. I wanna ask how many of you guys are married? Let me see your hands if you're married. Yeah, lots of people. All right. I want you to imagine, husbands and wives, imagine if somebody came along and tried to seduce your spouse. Everybody calm down. (laughs) We're talking serious stuff, all right? All of a sudden, you've connected with me on an emotional level and not just intellectual level, right? You're like, what, what? Just imagine that. They're trying, they're trying to break into your covenant, your vows that you made before God and, and, and man, and they're trying to break that and seduce your spouse away from you. How would that make you feel? All right, so who's the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. How does the Lord feel when these false teachers come in and they try to seduce people away from the truth. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Those who walk away, defect and abandon, they're apostate, they were never saved to begin with. But don't you know that true born again Christians can be deceived by false doctrine? Don't be deceived, amen?